Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of Quester Days, the epic Elf Quest podcast. Our names are Chris, and uh, we look forward to sharing with you guys the Marvel epic run of Elf Quest. How are you doing this week, Chris? We must work for Image Comics because this is the most delayed second episode of any podcast in the history of podcasting. No, I no, can no, guarantee no, 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 no. We just, minute, the, pi- the pilot just didn't get picked up last year. Right. Yeah, that, so, that's what it was. They had to pass because of, you know, the, last year was rough. We all know that. So yeah, it was pandemic. It was pandemic. Yeah, the the Chris and Reggie channel passed for some reason, and uh, <laughs> but here we are. There was an opening and there was a slot open, and they said, "Hey, ElfQuest, let's do it." So here we are to do it. And since it has been such a long time, I guess first we apologize. <laughs> Second. <laughs> Um, we want to thank everybody for actually having interest in seeing the show continue. Uh, we were both taken aback by the reception to the first episode. Uh, we're not used to people caring about what we do. So <laughs> it was pretty cool Absolutely. to hear from people saying that they wanted more of this content. So thank you all so, so much. But before we get into this issue, um, since it has been a while, let's cover a little bit of what happened to first issue here. A quick and dirty, inch deep, mile wide sort of synopsis here. We're on the world of two moons, right? A palace comes from the sky. There are elves in it. They're attacked by humans. Humans and elves are enemies. We start our main story here with an elf named Red Lance. He's being sacrificed to Gotara, right? I think it's Gotara by humans. Cutter comes, saves him, kills a human... Which, you know, pisses the humans off. So they plan revenge, and their revenge has to do with basically burning down the entire forest. So the elves lived in a halt in the woods. Place was burning. They had to take refuge, and they go to the troll mine, cave, the troll kingdom. They go underground to the trolls here. They talk their way in, and that's basically where we left it last issue. The elves are inside here. And they're looking for some aid. So uh, let's get into today's issue here. We can start by looking at the cover here. How do you like this cover? Man, you know what? There's something that's really so. Number one, I, I do like the cover. So let's let's start with that. So you sure. know, you got on the cover, you've got Cutter, and he looks to have Red Lance in his hand, mm-hmm. and they are crossing the desert, and they're on Wolfback, and everybody looks like they are being baked in that particular sun, Chris, and the sweat mm-hmm. is rolling. You know, people look like they are about to pass out and die. The wolves don't look well. You know, you really, really project a perilous journey here so you know it it actually one of the things that i like about the cover compared to you know some of the fare we get today is number one it doesn't have deadpool on it we'll start with that <laughs> or so, harley so, quinn so 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 that works <laughs> but you know you know it it exact i guess it depicts exactly what's inside the book it tells <laughs> so a story 
It, it tells does. A story. Yeah. So when you look at that cover, it actually, you know, it, it happens inside the book. And I know that's something new for audience of today's in 2021. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I mean, let's face it. I mean, the cover does look harrowing. I mean, the characters, actually, you know what? The characters themselves, I didn't even think this was drawn by uh, by Wendy, mm-hmm. Wendy Peeney, the artist. You know, the uh, and she has a great, you know, a great visual style, very, For very sure. unique. And I honestly thought this was drawn by somebody else because the faces are a little off. And I'm thinking it com- it comes down to the inking. Do you know who did the inking for the cover? Was that was you that know, the PDs I'm as not well? Sure, uh, it might have been. I, you know, a lot of uh, it, it's weird because I I started my ElfQuest journey with the color comics, right? Me too. And when you go back to the black and white stuff, I, I mean, the black and white stuff, you usually look at a black and white comic as kind of less than, you know. You talk about like the Marvel Essentials and stuff, and it's like, oh, this is the cheaper stuff. This is just a, <laughs> you know, this is the get it in your house, and you can you can leave it anywhere. You can use it to prop up a desk if you need to, whatever. But when you look at Wendy Peeney's black and white art, it's phenomenal. Oh yeah, um, it really doesn't need color. So I don't know if maybe it's the color that is making it, because I mean, I just don't know. Uh, ElfQuest came from, you know magazine trim and here we are at comic trim that might have done something to kind of affect because it might have been drawn at a certain size a certain dimension yeah gotcha. so they might and, have form formatted it and maybe you know you know when you got that person and they're posting pictures you know for the first time on facebook <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and they have no idea about aspect ratio and they're maybe they've clipped it off pinterest or they captured a google image and this thing comes out like they had like it's stretched all over the place like it's you know it's either squat into a like a yep. uh you know a letterbox or it's like the size of, of Kingdom Come, where you you know you got to scroll several times to get past it. So maybe it's a formatting <laughs> issue because Could the be. faces themselves, especially on Cutter and good old Skywise, it just seemed just slightly off. And maybe maybe she, yeah, maybe maybe she was using a, a thicker sharpie, or maybe it was just you know the, the printing process. But it's a little it's a it's a little off when you when you see, when you know the style of Wendy Peeney. And For you know, sure. I do yeah. like it though. I do like it. And, and this is a neat thing about a neat thing about this cover is that um, one of the things that Wendy and Richard had to do is they had to they had to add pages, you know, they had to add new art to uh, the existing ElfQuest story. By now, yes, the ElfQuest story is done. You know, the uh, I think it was something like twenty two of those big magazine sized issues was the original quest, something like that. And they had to stretch it into 32 monthly Marvel-sized comics here. And the Marvel method, of course, is different. Marvel is for a much broader audience than a niche independent comic. So you need that page of this is Wolverine, Logan, his adamantium claws, unbreakable. (laughs) You need that. So we do get – we're going to get that actually here, which would make it very, very jarring if you were reading the Marvel set in a collected format, which I don't think exists. So that's probably a good thing, (laughs) but because it would be very, very clunky. So I love that there is new stuff here uh, because the people who came up with ElfQuest from 1978, 1979, they still have a reason to buy these Marvel comics. You know, even if they own everything they have, they actually don't have everything because there's new stuff and uh, it's a value added measure. and, And comics just don't do that anymore. 
I agree. Like when you when you get reprints, sometimes uh, you know you get things that are clipped out, and that really, really, really oh, yeah. you know disappoints me. And I mean, you know, when you're when you're trying to bring a '70s comic, for example, a say for example Shang Chi, and you're trying to make it relevant in 2021, there's some stuff in those books that probably are not the most uh, you know culturally sensitive. We'll say in in 2021. So some things have to go by the wayside. But when you get things added, like ElfQuest. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I, I don't think there's anything offensive. I think you could read ElfQuest the same as, you know, in 2021, the same as you did in 1970s. You know what I mean? Sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's pretty good. But you do get extra value, including the covers and some, you know, transition pages, which is which are really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I dig it, brother. <laughs> now, let's get into the issue here. I'll, I'll run down the credits and then uh, we can head right into the synopsis. Now, this is ElfQuest number two. Had a September 1985 cover date. Stories called Journey to Sorrow's End by Wendy and Richard Peeney. There is a colorist, but they're not credited. <clears throat> we'll get there, though. We'll get there, though. Uh, edited by Archie Goodwin and Joe Duffy. Chief Jim Shooter. Cover price yeah. 75, yes, 75 cents USD. $1 Canadian. Went on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World, on June 18 of 1985. I was uh, five years old. Something and, something tells me that I paid a dollar twenty five. I'm gonna double check this because I know this is the U.S. version, but I mm-hmm. I don't recall ever paying one dollar for ElfQuest. And no maybe I'm wrong. Even dollar. Mm, <laughs> one even dollar. Well, and you guys were you guys were basically paying with quarters, seventy five cents. Holy oh, yeah. cow! Man, mm-hmm. it's been so long. What can you get for seventy five cents in comic books today, Chris? Oh, what can you get for seventy five cents? Um. I think they'd kick you out the door on free comic book day if you only had 75 cents. <laughs> <They might>. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can get one single card from a like a, <laughs> a, a random image comics card set, you know, <laughs> just as long as it's a character you never heard of. You'll get it for 75 cents. <laughs> I tell you what you wouldn't get for 75 cents are those Marvel cards these days, man. I don't know if you check the uh, no. check the going rates on those. Those things. Oh, have... yes. Yes. The, uh, oh. the Marvel universes. Yeah. Oh, my. I, I feel that I'm sitting on a small fortune in my in my house here right now. But uh, absolutely. It, I think a lot of people got shafted during said pandemic. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> Back to ElfQuest. Yes, yes. So let's let's meet our heroes again. Okay, right. now, these are the Wolf Riders, of course. They're at the front door of the Trolls' underground tunnel system. Cutter is waving his people into the home of their enemies, the Trolls, here. Now, as we left our uh, subject last time, the Elves have been fleeing the fire set by the humans, of course, at their home, which sent them scurrying to escape and now, I mean, they got no place to live, so they got to find some new digs. Um, exactly. Now, Cutter, the chief here, has decided that seeking refuge underground is their best option, despite the fact that, uh, well, they're not too friendly with the trolls. They have a sort of kind of respect and understanding, but they're not exactly friends. So it's a little bit strange to be calling on them. Now, after capturing two troll guards, the elves use their hostages to lead them directly to the secret lair here. And uh, this is where we're introduced to some of our cast. You want to you want to share some of these folks? This is this is classic shooter, too. So I mean, you know, when you when, when you think about the Marvel method, one of the big things about the Marvel method. And I'm interested to know this page in particular, when you when you review the warp one, is there any changes in this particular character page setup or is this, this one? This page included? doesn't exist. Aha. 
So I was right. So this is pure shooter verse right here. So if you're a a Marvel historian, you'll know that one of the big tricks with the Marvel method uh, was the introduction of characters. So, you know, maybe in the first five to six pages, you basically got to reintroduced to the characters or some of the supporting characters you got to know their their methods you might have seen them in like you know understanding their powers or just something that you would know to familiarize yourself with the cast you got it and you get it here too so they do basically a cast roll call here on one page so again we meet poor red lance who was you know recently (laughs) freed in issue one from a live sacrifice (laughs) to the gods by the humans in issue one and of course he's there with his life mate the beautiful nightfall and i'll tell you what Miss Wendy Peeney can certainly draw the ladies. That's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't forget, of course, we meet the elder, One-Eye. Now, why does it, Why do we call him One-Eye, Chris? Any idea? Hmm. He wears yeah. a patch. Get he it? <laughs> <laughs> I hope that and, patch is not his undoing at some point. Oh, we will wait and see. Uh, and he's there with his life mate, Clearbrook. Riding along them is the elven archer, and his name is... The aptly titled Strongbow, and he's with his life mate, Moonshade, and their son, Dart. Sounds like an Eric Larson character or something. I don't know why. Anyway, then we have our chief, our main man, Cutter, and he's flanked by his rider dies, Tree Stump. Yep, Tree Stump. And he's your typical, you know, he's your typical, uh, you know, your brawler. He's got the big chin. He's got the, uh, Mm -hmm. he's got the beard. He's ready to rumble. And on the other side is, you know. Maybe the maybe a little bit more passive. It's his good buddy, Skywise, the Stargazer. Indeed, indeed. And and as mentioned, you know, this is totally Marvel method here. So got a different page count between the warp stuff and the Marvel stuff. So this whole part, as mentioned, is all new. It's all new and um probably very, very clunky if collected. So it's a good thing that it uh I had the uh, complete elf quests, which would wow. have um they would have the story as it was printed in the warp books, but it would include these extra pages like as an appendix in the back. It's like this is the stuff we added to the Marvel stuff, and it would just be these two or three pages. So it was really, really cool to be able to see that and not have it like become like obtrusive and, and you know, be like, wait a minute, why wait, they just they already got that. Why am I going backwards? You know? Yeah. Yeah, because Because uh, I think you have two camps when it comes to uh when it comes to Elf Quest. You definitely have your hardcore purists who you know mm-hmm. are only going to accept those black and white warp editions and anything else, you know, any any uh cuts or, you know, tomes or any, you know, different versions of it you know sometimes it's not accepted by the hardcores and then you got the people who just love everything and i and i'm in that camp you know what i mean i'll take whatever version of elf quest if you want to half color it if you want to put it in a phone book size an archie digest size i don't care i'm taking Mm -hmm. whatever i get so you know there you go absolutely now with the introductions out of the way our elven friends make their way to the troll throne room and here we meet Greymung, the troll king who is a He's absolutely flabbergasted and upset that his own guards, <laughs> like, selling his location out to, you know, of all things, you know, the elves. Uh, the narrator reveals here that Picknose, our favorite troll, is stunned and unaware that the elves would, have, like, would and could ever fight back, you know? Yeah, and I, I thought that was that was pretty interesting. I mean, you know, you got these trolls who are typically, when you see them presented in, in other media, you know, are brutes, you know, brute force, sure. very strong. And here... The Peenies have depicted them sort of like sneaky, you know, conniving, mm-hmm. not necessarily strong brutes who are able to tackle, you know, elves of all people. But mm-hmm. these guys, you know, they're they're 
they're sort of taken aback that they would even put up a fight, which is mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. I, I I like that little layer. You know, if you're a D and D fan, you know you're you know sort of breaking from script here. So I kind of like that. And it's it's cool here because I mean it goes without saying we're going to meet other elves as we move forward here, and elves just like just like all of us in the real world here they have different they have different traditions they have different yes. cultures what's even more crazy is the fact that we're going to meet other trolls later on that have different personalities different cultures it's such a well fleshed out world here it's such an imaginative world where i mean you look at trolls like like a D thing and i mean you show me 15 trolls i couldn't tell you which one's which Exactly. You know, they're all the same sort of thing here. We have the Greymung trolls here who are like you said, they're they're a little bit sneaky, they're kinda cowardly, they're they're a kinda sort of comic relief. They're still dangerous, but in a way where you can kinda like smirk a little bit, you know? Exactly. Now, now okay. we go we go through uh we go to Cutter and the Troll King, so they're interacting. Now Cutter explains that their visit to the Troll Kingdom they're not going to be there for long, but they're basically fleeing the surface ground. And, you know, it's because of the fires that were set by the humans to their hold. So, you know, he's he's going out of his way to explain to these guys, listen, we're only here temporarily. They burned our home down. Relax, people. <laughs> Although Mr. King does not trust the elves. You know, he they are very, very untrusting. And, you know, we get to see a lot more of that in this issue. Yeah. And he feels they're simply going to rob him. And then, of course... Wet your blade on their gizzards. So he thinks they're just going to, you know, steal everything they got and gut them at the end of the day. Now, I was going to say, where is the gizzard? <laughs> I think it's the, the throatal region, we'll say. <laughs> I thought only chickens had gizzards. <laughs> well, it's hard, to, it's hard to tell how the... Uh, how the, the trolls troll view physiology. these elves. <laughs> Are, you know, would, would the elves end up on a dinner plate for the trolls given the circumstances? We don't know. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm pretty certain that that's answered later on, but we'll see. <laughs> now, Cutter reminds them that they have more food and resources than they know what to do with. And the king reminds them just because they have all these luxuries, it doesn't give them the right to simply take it. And you know what? He has a point. Do you break yep. into, you know, your rich next door neighbor and go, uh, yeah, I'm uh, just going to take that TV. You got five of them in the house already. <laughs> no, you don't. You got that big fat wallet. I mean, I'll just take that. <laughs> yeah, I'll just take that. It's hilarious. He So he does have a point. He and does. you know what? The, the elves up to this point seem honestly a little unreasonable. I mean, they're, they're breaking into somebody's home. We know that obviously in the past there's been tension between the two the two factions, but uh, boy, are they doing nothing to uh, dispel the king's, uh, you know, his, his worries uh, and concerns. His concerns. Yeah, yeah. There there's definitely some posturing going on here, and uh, I mean, I, I, we're gonna see um, later on a little bit about uh, Cutter's father. Not in this issue, of course, but. That might tell us a little bit about why the trolls might not trust the elves yes. so much here. A little swindling going on there. It's a yes, and Cutter, Cutter's Cutter's dad, as we will find out, is a little bit more uh, roguish. Uh, yes, yes, that's that's the way I'd put it. Correct. <laughs> Carry on. So Cutter, he tells them that you know they owe him. They owe they owe the elves, and it's here that we understand that the trolls and elves they have a working relationship. So Cutter is quick to pull that card here. <laughs> He notes to the Troll King that, you know, the trolls are afraid to venture outside of their tunnels, so they're always underground. So as a result, they had to depend on the elves to supply them with meat, with pelts, with leathers, 
anything for exchange for metals so they can have they can have their weapons from the trolls and then they trade the the meats and the pelts all the things to clothe and feed the trolls so it's basically a relationship born out of necessity it's one of those things that you definitely don't want if you have an enemy you 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 don't want that enemy to be that person who provides you with for example weapons yes. <laughs> that, that, that's one of that's one of those things that you don't want no. So then we so then then we get to see Red Lance's lady Nightfall and she reminds the trolls that you know they also supplied them with medicines to treat their sick and there you go so they I think that's the ace in the hole just imagine someone so. had the uh, you know a cure for a certain virus how how you know unbelievably beneficial that would have been in today's society so mm-hmm. old Pick knows though he's on to the game he's watching all this stuff going on in front of him and you know his king being you know swayed by their words and he sneers at all the chatter of all this trade. And he knows, you know, that the elves need the trolls far more than the trolls need the elves. And he notes that anybody can learn to hunt. So, you know, don't give me that crap. Anyone can learn <laughs> to hunt. Come on. We could do this. Now, of course. Except to leave the tunnels first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, now, of course, like Cutter does many, many, many times throughout this uh, 30-some-odd issue run, uh, he gets triggered. <laughs> And he threatens him right away with the sword and he moves towards Picknose and notes, let's see how you fare without the elves the next time winter or as he calls it, you know, the season of the white cold comes and their food supplies are empty. How about that? So it's a little bit of an embargo, my friend. Mm hmm. Now, Skywise, he interrupts the fray, trying to alert Cutter of something to do with the forge off panel. And suddenly, Skywise's metal wrist gauntlet, it clings to a nearby rock. Now, this is a rock that Greymung is using basically as a foot, like a footrest. And he is, like, magnetically drawn to it. Now, Cutter, he pulls his friend, you know, he pulls his friend off the, the stone here, but his sword now attaches. It's like a magnetic rock. Now, he pries his sword free, and as both elves look on in amazement at the power of this rock. Now, Skywise in particular, is he's just absolutely taken. He is fascinated by this powerful rock. As the Troll King utters for them to get away from the rock, you know, get out of here, uh, because it's the only one like it. So uh, he doesn't want anyone sniffing near it. <laughs> now, Cutter's interest quickly dissipates, and he abrupt, abruptly informs Skywise that they are clearly not welcome in the Troll's home, you think? And yeah. uh, they must leave and call counsel to discuss their next move, because... Uh, this rock, no matter how cool it is, is probably not going to solve their problems. Uh, he <laughs> might be speaking too soon. Yes. I like how he just stops in the middle here and he just goes, no, no, we got to stop. We're going to call counsel. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> like that happens. <laughs> of course, a fight breaks out. Um, the yeah. Troll King attacks Skywise for trying, in his opinion, to steal the magic rock. I mean, this rock is how much you think this thing weighs? Oh my goodness! This this scene this is like a this is the size of a little bit bigger than an average bowling ball. So I mean, you got a bit of weight there. Yeah, and I mean, Skywise must weigh about twelve pounds, right? Not, <laughs> I mean, soaking wet with a, with an eleven pound weight around his body. Yes. So uh, he thinks that uh, Skywise is going to steal the rock, so he punches him. He punches him to the ground here, and then uh, we suddenly see why Cutter is their leader because this casual mood changes. He leaps with his sword drawn to the top of Greymung and threatens to cut him to pieces right there in front of his own people. <laughs> I like how it's interesting, you know, that Cutter's actually able to overpower the trolls. So, you yeah. know, 
we're not really used to that. You know, if you're if you're a fan of like uh, you know D and D lore and different things like that, you know, you you know that strength percentages definitely don't rule in the favor of the elves when it comes to battles like this. <laughs> no, so certainly not. You know, and you know, he even cuts a piece off uh, when he overpowers the troll and gets him out of the way. He even cuts a piece off the magic rock, almost like a slap in the face. You know what I mean? Here, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna take a chip off this bold magic rock you got here, and he gives it to a to Skywise as a gift. Like hmm. this is from the king himself. <laughs> Take it, <in> good health. <laughs> Fortunately for the king, now Cutter notes that he's only interested in finding a new Holt, you know, to live for his people. You know what I mean? So he's basically trying to, uh, even though they're fighting here, he's trying to reassure him. Listen, man, we are only here to find a new home. That's it. You know what I mean? Don't don't think there's any more intention here. Yeah, we're so not taking suddenly, over. We're not kicking you out. It's we're just here for for a minute. This is just a stop. Absolutely. So Greymung, you know, the king, um, has a change of heart and his demeanor changes. Now, we see him. Hmm. Yes. He sheepishly gives in with a, oh, why didn't you say so already type of deal. (laughs) Now, you see the king and he motions to Picknose to assist the elves towards, get this, the golden tunnel of light. Now, if that doesn't seem like the most suspect thing in the world, (laughs) I don't know if anyone. Sounds like the greatest place you'd ever want to go. Yeah, like all of a sudden you're you're giving in. Hey, hey, Chris, you know, if, if I'm your next door neighbor and I can't stand you, hey, Chris, yeah, you can have all my stuff. Just walk towards the, you know, the uh, the golden tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that that's not probably a thing that you should do. No. You know what I mean? But anyway, Greymong, you know, they go ahead and they tell Cutter that the tunnel leads outside to green woods. You know, far from here. And here's the kicker: it's also human free how about that for a tagline that's a that's a sales pitch i've ever heard it so so you know green woods human free there you go it's all you need to know (laughs) now the elves they they quickly talk amongst themselves because they're just blown away by the prospect of finally being free of the humans here they can live in peace they can just live and be and not have to worry all the time and it's decided that they will allow picknose to lead them to the golden tunnel but before they leave, he warns Greymung that if uh, if he's pulling their leg and leading them into a trap, uh, he's going to send Picknose back to him in six separate pouches. Ouch. And, uh, <laughs> What's in the pouch? What's in the pouch? <laughs> Picknose assures him that this will not be necessary. So we follow the 17 elves and 14 wolves as they're led by the troll to the great golden tunnel. Dun, dun, dun. And, and they're, they're so joyous. They're just, ha- they're, they're just so happy with the prospect of just living in peace and harmony that as they go, they, they're in a chorus of song. You know, the elves are singing and hooting and hollering and just having a great time. Um, meanwhile, Skywise, he's busy collecting hair samples from everybody. So he's plucking he's plucking hairs off of everybody's head so he can braid it together into a into a string, a ne- like a necklace piece here, so he can have his new stone hanging around his neck. I do the that all the time. Stone. You, you uh, don't do that? Oh, all the time. All the time. Yeah, you, yes. you don't go around plucking hairs off strangers trying to, <laughs> to, to fashion it to your lodestone at your house? No? The police love me. <laughs> And uh, Skywise, he notes that this magic stone seems to cling to him like a living thing. So uh, I guess in the uh, in the words of the insane clown posse, magnets, how do they work? Um, <laughs> Cutter questions Picknose about the origin of this magic troll rock. And he says it's called the Lodestone, and it apparently fell from the sky. And uh, he notes it's very cold. Skywise, I mean, that's all he had to hear. 
It came from the sky, so he is totally down with it. And uh, we can tell at this point that this rock will be of importance in the future, maybe even the very, very near future. 100%. Now, good old Cutter, he watches over his tribe, but he's on, you know, he knows what's happening here. He knows that their supplies, especially water, are, you know, running very, very low. And, you know, they, they depict the wolves and, and you know, even the even the elves. And you can tell everybody's starting to become weary. They're tired. They're hungry. They're thirsty. But the wolves, you know, they have their tongue dangling out of their mouth. So, you know, the, the physical pains are starting to begin. Yeah. And this journey is starting to, you know, take its physical toll on all his people. And, you know, he finally asked Picknose as they're going through this, you know, extensive tunnel that seems to go on forever. You know, Are basically, we there yet? Are we yeah, there yet? How, how much further, <laughs> Papa Smurf, he asked. I mean, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he starts being concerned about their ability to even make it to the end of the tunnel. So you're starting to go, oh, wait a second here. You know, if they really, really desperately need to find a home and, you know, food quick or, you know, this is going to be lights out for the elves. So Absolutely. The troll claims, though, that, hey, we're almost there. You know, we've all almost reached the end of our journey and just tells them not to worry. I mean, what what could possibly happen? I mean, seriously. Oh, but nothing s- can go wrong here. Absolutely. So suddenly off in the distance, this seemingly never-ending tunnel, I think, finally has an end because they see light. And on the other side of that must lie those plush green forests that they were promised free of humans. And, you know, finally, our elf friends are going to be able to make their brand new home, Chris. Oh boy, yes. And uh, Picknose informs the team that his part in the journey is over. He's like, okay, I brought you here, and if I go any further, trolls can't deal with daylight. That's why they stay underground. So he's going to have to head back and uh, wish them well on their journey. Tree Stump, the elder here, he pulls his blade to the throat of the troll and threatens him by saying that, uh, you know, if you lied, I really, really pity you because... Uh, it's gonna be some uh, gonna be some answering to do. <laughs> now, Skywise motions over to Cutter to go and finally look upon their new home. Cutter follows Skywise and the tribe to the end of the tunnel, where the light is just it is burning bright, so bright and hot that they can hardly see in front of them. And unfortunately, the exit to the tunnel they discover there's no fl- plush forest there. No, sir, it is hot sweltering desolate wasteland desert (laughs) they have been duped by the troll king so uh, they're like "Uh uh-oh gotta turn back but when they do they find that the entrance has been sealed off by boulders and uh tree stump who had been guarding pick nose has been dumped unceremoniously outside with them so they've been conned and now if they thought they had it bad before well they've got a new dilemma to face here uh, as mentioned, even just during the path, uh, the, the journey through the tunnels, water is scarce. Food is nil. Now, even more so, the wolves are hungry. They got to, I mean, the wolves are hungry and thirsty. They got to feed their rides as well. And here they are, stuck in a blistering hot desert. And, I mean, it's as far as the eye can see. The, the, it does not end at the horizon. It is just nothing. The, the only road sign says Arizona. That's the only thing I can see. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> and for folks who are purists who followed the warp run, this is where issue one of the warp run ends. So Interesting. It did, yeah, it takes you all the way through the troll's deception. I, I kind of dig that. I think that's uh, I think that's an appropriate ending, to be honest with you. You got oh, 100 you know, percent. 
one full self-contained story. You got a conclusion. Uh, yeah, I mean that that's a pretty good way. So you get the entire you know origin of them, and then you get to see them enter the troll kingdom. So you're getting a little bit you know more of the world building happening in the warp version because you're seeing not only their home, the Holt, and the humans, but you get to see the troll layer. So you know basically three separate layers of uh, of inhabitants in this particular world we're looking at. Sure. And I think it would have been great if if Marvel did like a double sized first issue, just to that, just to do that the would have whole, been the answer. Yeah, because I mean because this this one we got 30, 32 issues anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, would it have killed them to end it at thirty and double size the first and the last? Yeah, right. It wouldn't have done done any harm there because but the anyway. ending we did get to number one was a little bit abrupt. You know, it was like uh, they realized, uh oh, we're out of pages. <laughs> Just stop <laughs> that's now. exactly what happened. <laughs> and that's one of the downfalls to actually adding content. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're cutting off valuable story points, but I guess it helps them transition into a page count, too, if you're, sure. you know, if you're cutting and editing these books. But anyway, yeah. anyway, we get to good, see you take the bad. You take them both. And mm-hmm. there you have the, the, the facts of life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. All right. That's 80s trivia, folks. If you don't know that, I can't help you. No. All right. So. <laughs> We got to see our good boy Cutter. Now they are locked outside. The sweltering heat is killing them. Poor old tree stump was thrown like a, a you know, like a bag of uh, such and such is out through the cave. <laughs> the entire entrance to the cave, you know, the cool, chill cavern of the Golden Tunnel is all blocked off with rocks. So they can't even go backwards. They can only go forwards over this complete, desolate, desolate, nothing happening, hot and sweltering desert. So, you know. Cutter now has a moment. He doubts himself as a leader. And the others try to reassure him. But he, you know, he notes that his father, Bearclaw, would have handled this whole thing much differently. Because, number one, starting out, he would never have trusted these, you know, these sneaky trolls. That's the first thing. And, uh, boy, do we get to see that, you know, a little bit play out there in future issues. One thing is for sure, though, this brand new world, she's a death trap, my brother. So they begin to observe the terrain, and they realize that they're even cut off from traveling back over the top of the land because behind them, behind this cave that they just exited, are gigantic cliffs. So they can't even go back to the entrance to the Troll Kingdom because these cliffs are way too high. So they're stuck. They've got one direction to go, and that's forward into this never-ending desert. And think about this. Not one, barely a drop to drink and no food. And already the people are already stressed out. So this is real, real bad news for the elves right here. So you got to figure they probably haven't slept in a while, right? Uh, They just were chased out of the woods. It's just not a good scene at all here. Um, Now, Skywise, he's still thinking about his lodestone. That's Kind of going to be his gimmick here for a little while. (laughs) And he frets over the fact that it wasn't much help. But no sooner does he say that than it uh, spins and it points in a certain direction. It's uh, like a magnetic compass of sorts. Hmm. Now, the boys figure, let's see, you know, they 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 do the repetition test here, which is what we would always scientists do. And they spin it again. And once again, it stops pointing in that same general direction. So the tribe here, they're just astounded because this magic rock is pointing them ahead. And they take that as perhaps being a sign that they must proceed in that direction. Now, they ponder that surely the trolls have never explored this land, right? They have no idea what's in store here. So they don't know that it's an absolute death trap. 
All they know is that it's an unpleasant place to be, and it's very likely a death trap. But they don't know what lies inside this desert. So they figure, let's wait till night, you know, because going out now is certain death. And uh, as someone who lives in Arizona, yes, doing <laughs> doing so is certain death. Uh, I, I had a heat stroke back in 2016 when I went to the uh, the Phoenix Comic Con because uh, I had a lot of walking to do because the doors the, well, the closest parking I could get was like a mile and a half away. Oh and uh, so I had to walk and it was June and it was something like 112 degrees. And, uh, you know, the last thing you think about when you're going to a comic convention, I was only going to be there for like a couple hours. I had to talk to I was going to I was going to meet with Kurt Busick to talk to him about uh, some of his D.C. work. Wow. And, yeah. And I, I mean, it's like you figure, OK, I'm going to I'm going to pull into the garage, you know, wherever the parking structure is. I'm going to go inside the place. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to take a look around, maybe take a few pictures and then I'm out the door. I didn't think I would need like a gallon of water. So I didn't bring any water. <laughs> and so I walked a mile, uh, a mile and change to get from this offsite parking lot. And oh boy, I was so sick afterwards. It was it got to the point where they say if you're if you're really hot and you stop sweating, that's when Ooh. it's time to worry. And I I indeed had stopped sweating. So oh I could I could take these elves uh, waiting until nightfall as a very very smart thing to do. So well, well that's exactly I'm, I'm, what they do. I'm glad I don't have to worry about that here in, in Newfoundland because, you know, basically when I ride to work on my Tauntaun, you know, if it gets really bad, then, you know, my good buddy Han will slice one open Just and fit me open inside to warm inside. me up, right? Yeah. So, you know, we're always protected with my Tauntaun. <laughs> oh, they, uh, they, they, they're going to go out at night here. So there's no winning so far. They wait until night and the pack decides it's time. We're going to travel, you know. And uh, while riding, Skywise and Cutter have another conversation about, guess what? The Lodestone. Skywise's <laughs> favorite subject. It's like, you know what? Skywise is that one friend you got who's really needy. He's you in know the what CrossFit. I mean? He's, he's got the same conversation that he brings up every single time you speak, and you don't care for it the first time he brought it up. So by the time you get to conversation number 500... On, you know, uh, let's say, for example, variant covers, uh, you don't care anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, look at this Mary Jane variant cover I got, Chris. Wow. That's amazing, right. Sheldon. Thanks. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, carry on. Hey, hey Cutter. <laughs> hey, hey, Cutter. You, you, you remember that time we found the lodestone? <laughs> that, that was cool. Exactly. Exactly what's happening here. No, Skywise, uh, they recall here. That uh, Picknose noted that the magic rock came from the sky, so it must be a star, right? He thinks this is the origin of the lodestone, and he decides to put a marking on the side of the stone that notes their direction. So we basically have a north-pointing compass or whatever direction-pointing yeah. compass. We just know because, I mean, look, the, the, the lodestone looks kind of like, I don't know, like an oblong piece of beef jerky, kind of. Like with it's two only a points, chip. it's it's a fragment, right? So it's it just is, literally it a chip off the old stone. <laughs> if you remember March of the Wooden Soldiers, they had the uh, oh boy, what were those things that uh, Stan played with in March of the Wooden Soldiers? The peewees. He what? he would hit these pee these oblong little shapes. He'd hit them with a stick. They'd pop up in the air, and then he'd swing and like swipe them across the room. They lo it looks like a peewee if you're familiar with that, and it has a little hole in it. 
But uh, both ends look the same. So it stands to reason that he would have to mark one. So it's like yeah. they don't go backwards instead. <laughs> now, when he does this, Cutter's like, oh, wait a minute. He thinks that Skywise might have unleashed a little bit of hoodoo in the, uh, <laughs> sky, uh, from you know, spatial hoodoo, which uh, Skywise is like, eh, don't sweat it. It came from the stars. It he, can't he's, be he's, bad. He's really over the top with this, though. You know what I mean? I can picture this in a movie or something with, no, don't do it. It's pure evil. No. <laughs> But man, he really goes out of his mind here, warning Skywise about the evils that that could be unleashed with marking this stone. Oh man! <laughs> now we get to daybreak, so they traveled all night long, like Lionel Richie always says. And <laughs> daybreak happens, and the elves decide to set up camp here, get some cover, get some shade. The only way to get out of the blazing sun here, they're putting up skins to hide under here. And I mean, it's it's a really rotten scene because you know they're not getting they're not getting rest. You know, they're just there in the heat. And and I mean, in Arizona they have a saying: it's a dry heat. <laughs> and that means like the the worst, the dirt worst kind of heat, would it not be? <laughs> it's up there. It's up there. It's not. It does. That doesn't mean it's pleasant. It just no, means it's not humid. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, if you've ever tried to sleep in the middle of the day oh, in Arizona. Oh. Uh, not a good thing. So uh, I could imagine that they were not having restful sleep. So, I mean, the only thing that they can do here, I mean, you know, they they literally, as you've seen before, they have to wait till evening to even make a move because this thing is a blazing hot desert. So as we see here, day turns into night and Cutter and Skywise, they got to plan their next move. So sure. you, they've basically been two days in this friggin desert right now. And Cutter knows that they need to move as quickly as possible. Because, man, this clock is running against him. And like with every group, Chris, you've always got that, oh, no, I can't go on any further. <laughs> Leave me. Save Leave yourself. Me. My God. And this is good old Red Lance. And Red Lance that. always seems to find himself <laughs> in the dirt worst situations. <laughs> because we open ElfQuest issue number one, and he's captured by the humans. He's ready mm -hmm. to be sacrificed. But, of course... You know, Cutter and Skywise got to save his ass again. But this time, this time he's, no, I can't go on. And, of course, he's tricked Nightfall, his life mate, to stay by his side. So she's going to stand by her man, baby. And anyway, Cutter looks at them. And it, it's kind of funny because, you know, he's dead serious all of a sudden. And he vows to return them once they find a new Holt. You know what I mean? And then he just, like, throws a bag of water at him. Anyway, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> don't drink it all at once yep. <laughs> that was so or do funny. i don't care oh my god it's just i mean he's just super useless and and, and you even put it in notes here. more useless than usual <laughs> <laughs> oh i thought that was so great but cutter you know he ponders if things could be different if he had just killed the human old man when he ran him into him a while ago and maybe he would not have had to make the choice of leaving his friend behind on this perilous journey. You know what I mean? So he rallies. Point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hindsight, right? <laughs> you know, tell Peter Parker that. Anyway, <laughs> he rallies the old wolf rider and notes that they're not going to stop on the next stage of their journey until they were, you know, until they reach the foothills of sorrow's end. And I love that sorrow's end. It's kind of oh, a, yeah. it's literally the end of sorrow. So I guess <laughs> that's what it is, you know. <laughs> 
you know, we really get to see the struggle of the elves here. I mean, you know, everybody is overwhelmed by the heat. You know, they have the, you know, some wolves are actually either dead or passed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the people who can't make it are just slung over the backs of the wolves. I mean, these people are in bad shape. Mm-hmm. And it's here that, uh, you know, you, 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 you told me what happened here, but we get yep. this weird break in the story. And I thought it was an editorial mistake and, uh, you know, we just left Red Lance and Nightfall, you know, as he couldn't continue the journey. But yet, when the elves make camp after a long day, you know, Cutter is surveying his people and the animals. And, you know, everyone is Skywise notes that, you know, everyone seems to be holding up quite well, considering, you know, all these horrible circumstances. All except Red Lance, who suddenly is with them again, slung over the, <laughs> sl- slung over the uh, a wolf, you know, who. <laughs> Cutter just, you know, he Cutter just told him that, you know, he was going to leave him. So I really didn't know what happened here. But can you fill me in on exactly what happened? Certainly. How did Red Lance suddenly be left in the desert and suddenly appear back in the hole, back in the camp again? Well, Red Lance is very indecisive. As Cutter was leaving, he's like, no, no, I'll come with you again. And then he decided not to again. No, no. <laughs> Actually, this was a uh, printing error. So, um. In the letters page for ElfQuest number four, Archie Goodwin includes a pair of apologies. The first of which is omitting the colorist, Glynis Oliver, from uh, the credits of the first two issues. So she was not sorry, in this Glynis. issue as well. So no, sorry, we can, Glynis. We, we can blame Glynis for the cover because I think you screwed it up, Glynis. Thank you. <laughs> and also for the fact that two of the pages in this very issue were presented out of order. Not for an editorial error, because that would have been Archie's error. Uh, this was an error at the printer. Hmm. I, I knew it Suspect. because it, it, it really it really took me by surprise. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Because because, you know, it was a big dramatic scene. So picture this in a movie. you got this big cinematic thing, you know, Kirk and Spock. Kirk is, you know, Spock is dying in the canister. They got their hands up together and they're saying their goodbyes and, you know, suddenly appears in the next scene and he's okay. Or at least, you know. The next scene they're playing poker. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, tell tell us what else happens here. Yes. uh, Now, as they trek on the night, uh, Skywise rounds the top of the mountains and is startled to see before him more mountains here. There, there There is actually something on the horizon. So he has Scouter who has very, very good vision, as his name might imply. He's like, hey, take a look at this. And by God, they finally have some honestly found hope here. They they have they have something to actually go toward. And uh, Cutter once again rallies the troops. He tells everyone that they've discovered some mountains ahead. But, and they're not like right here. I mean, it's going to take a while. It's a walk. And so... He notes that they're going to have to ration the remaining water because, I mean, they're basically all out. And they left they left a lot of it with friggin red lance. Um, so, <laughs> I bet I bet he wishes that he didn't toss it back at him and just kicked him in the nuts. Yep. <laughs> peed in the bag or something and send it back to him. <laughs> he then vows that if it comes down to it, he will allow the elves to drink his blood if that's what it takes for them to make it to the mountains alive. Ooh, that that needed to be done in like real deep fashion. Say that again in like a real deep tone. By God, I will allow you to drink the very blood that is running through my veins. If that is what it takes for us to make it to sorrow's end. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) And guess what? 
They make it to the mountains. They make it without having to be vampiric. Oh, my God. Finally, they actually have shade. And, you know, they discover strange plants that seem to thrive without water. And guess what? Yep, they're cactuses. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Cutter slices one and allows his wolf riders, you know, to drink that water inside. I love it here because it's like they don't know what a cactus is. And Cutter, (laughs) despite seeing that it's covered in spikes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if you've ever been uh, – again, I hate to dwell on it, but I live in Arizona, and there's a lot of cactuses out here. And if you've ever accidentally bumped up against one or, like, stepped over one – it's like we've got little cactuses too where um, – and I know it's cacti, but it's funner to say cactuses um, – where, like, you might actually get something in your ankle – like by walking next to it, that that hurts a lot. It does so, hurt. Uh, like we we have we have like fake ones that we import here, and yes. they hurt like a bizatch. I can only imagine real live, like real you know live drive by the seat of your pants type cacti like you guys have. Oh yeah, yeah. So like Cutter's walking past this thing, and he accidentally like he accidentally pricks himself on it, and then and then he reacts in anger by slicing it with his sword, <laughs> and then they and, discover there's water inside. And he takes full credit for that, too. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, these things were obviously filled with water for you guys to drink. Drink, (laughs) my people. Drink from the the water that I have freed from these sphere cacti. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, when everybody finally takes a moment to relax, Cutter, he just can't. He's one of these guys who always have to be doing something. And you know what? I can I can relate to Skywise here because, you know, have you ever been on like, you know, maybe if you were in scouts as a kid and all that stuff and you're, you know, you're doing these long treks to a cabin or a, or a campground and then, you know, you start to take a break and, you know, the, the leader just doesn't want to No, let's carry on. You know, yes. we don't need to stop for a break. And you're like, dude, no, I'm taking a break. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I need my Dr. Pepper. Let's stop for a minute, please. Human. I got a bag of M&Ms here. Come on. Yes, exactly. Now, Skywise, he tries to tell him, man, just just relax for a second, Cutter. Good Lord. But Skywise notes that Cutter won't be happy until he finds basically a damn waterfall until he's satisfied. So Skywise is, you know, he's dealing with he's even dealing with sunburn. So these. Yeah. So they've never seen such extreme heat. And the first time they've ever seen their skin, you know, like a pinkish hue and actually burning. So. But as usual, as we see in every issue of ElfQuest, he relents and once mm-hmm. again joins Cutter in whatever mission that he's got planned. And this time, it's a journey to the mountains to continue his search. And wouldn't you know it, once on the mountain, Cutter and his friend look over the other side. And what do you suppose they see, Chris? Hmm. Let's see. What do you think they see? Did they actually reach a destination? Do they see perhaps... An elf settlement? They do. And this elf settlement is no just elf settlement. This thing is like a large system of like houses and Mm -hmm. shelters and, you know, rich farmlands. And they see animals everywhere and water. It's an oasis land here. And not only that, they find out that there are actually more elves out there like them. And they Mm -hmm. have every single thing that they're looking for. And the only thing left for them to do is go get it. And that's mm-hmm. where we end on this one, sir. And that's only like partially way issue two of Warp, right? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. The, the second issue of uh, Warp will introduce um, a lot of the uh, movers and shakers of Sorrow's End. So, yeah, we're uh, 
we're actually and and you know this is actually a really good stopping point for an issue I think because we don't know what we don't know if they're going to be friendly hostile a little bit of both <laughs> you just don't know and uh we've got these elves we have our elves of course and they are ragged and dirty and tired and hungry and i mean Picture yourself as someone living in Sorrow's End, just going about your day, tending to the crops, grabbing some water from the well, uh, going to maybe a church service or just uh, hanging in somewhere where people are trading, you know, trinkets and and foods and having a good old day. And then all of a sudden, you've got these barbaric elves coming from over the mountain (laughs) with wolves and uh and and pale skin burnt pale skin because uh, the sorrows and elves have darker skin because they live in the desert so you have these elves that are somewhat familiar looking but at the same time are covered in animal pelt uh, the the yes. sorrows and elves are they're they're dressed rather fashionably and uh not not wearing skins you know so it's um this is like I, your 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 beverly hills class elf right here yes <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So they, they they don't they don't want no scrubs, Chris. They don't. They they won't get no love from them. And uh, <laughs> but it it is it's a really cool how we have a, a bit of culture shock, you know. And it's going to be culture shock for both groups of elves here. And uh, the way that they work through that and don't work through that is going to be pretty central to the way this this uh this series is going to go and it's actually going to inform the fact that there's going to be a quest because believe it or not the quest hasn't started yet you know this exactly. is this is called elf quest but cutter has not decided he hasn't said this is my quest just yet and there will be a time not too far from now where he does well i you know i really really I really liked how this concluded and I liked where we're headed. I know, I know where we're headed and I really don't want to spoil it, but all I'll tell you is, you know, these guys who are supposed to be our good guys, you know, they're certainly acting a different manner. And when they go to this next village and they try to, you know, basically take over, they're coming (laughs) in, they're stealing the resources and by God, they're claiming their women. And that's where we'll cap that one off. (laughs) Absolutely. But uh, in in our moratory fashion, we're not done yet. We're we're done with the story, but we're not done with the book here. As always, we have bullpen bulletins here, and uh, we don't open with a uh, we don't open with a quote of the month or a quote of the week. We actually open with an obituary for someone that I uh, I don't know that I've ever heard of. Um, a fellow by the name of Mori Kuramoto, who was 64 years old. He was a longtime editor, I'm sorry, a letterer, easy for me to say, and production man at Marvel. And he was there so long that he was often referred to as the Ancient One. Ouch. Yeah. That's, that's pretty stiff. Like, that's calling like someone like the old bastard. That's about it. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> man. You know, and it gets, it gets better. Uh, Jim Shooter writes a very glib <laughs> remembrance of old Maury. Um, oh. He transcribes a bit of his speech from the actual memorial service here. Um, and I mean, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've only had to speak it at one funeral. Um, and I didn't decide to talk about off-track betting during my <laughs> eulogy, but Jim Shooter does. Jim Shooter Ouch. talks about how Maury was just a huge fan and frequented off-track betting locations. So I, I can only imagine what that entire speech sounded like. It must have been like... 
And oh, then Maury didn't make the deadline that I set out for him, and I beat him with a stick and told him he had to work harder. <laughs> Damn it, ancient one. <laughs> we have a deadline here, Maury. It's either you or the deadline. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the one the one time he missed his lettering deadline, I made him eat all the cigarette butts out of the ashtray. <laughs> but I told him he had to be quick because Ditko was coming to empty them out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Ditko jokes just never end. So good. Well done. I missed this so much just for the Ditko. Me too. Me too. <laughs> now we go to the hype box. And uh, the hype box here starts with a note about Squadron Supreme number one by uh, Mark favorite book. Oh, my very favorite. My very favorite. Mark Runewald and uh, Bob Hall. I call it the perfect cure for insomnia. I'm not. Oh, I've tried come it. On. It's I, you not know, that bad. I know I'm in the minority. I know a lot of people have a lot of love for Squadron Supreme, and I wish I did as well because I love the idea of it. I love the concept of having like a JLA analog in the Marvel universe in some form or fashion. But I've tried it so many times. Um, I I even own the uh, the edition of Squadron Supreme trade that has Mark Grunewald's ashes in it. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I've given this a try. <laughs> oh, my God. You think you would have put like your, your ashes in like, I don't know, something kickers. Number one, anything just just you know, not not squadron supreme. Number one. Come on. No, it, this is an oddly relevant book right now for current day Marvel yeah. because the squadron supreme, they loom large right now in the. As of this recording, ongoing Heroes Reborn mass crossover event, which I am not reading. Are you? Uh, you know what? I Someone recommended it to me, and I so I d- jumped into, like, you know, the first, the first arc of this thing, mm-hmm. and I got through about an issue, and I said, man, I barely know any of these characters or the reason for being. And I was like, we're done. <laughs> when I <laughs> saw Heroes said. Reborn, I was like, all right, Rob Liefeld, let's go. Yep. And then it was like, no, it wasn't. And I was like, I don't even understand this. And I, you know, embarrassingly just said, yeah, I finished it. It wasn't, it wasn't very good. <laughs> that was it. I've got like, I've got no interest in. Oh, you know, no, I've, no. I flipped through, uh, I flipped no. through the X-Men stuff to see if like, okay, is this something that's relevant to the current X books? And it's like, no, nah, it's not. And then I flipped through the first issue and it's like, wow, no, I oh, don't need man, this in is- my life. It is uh, it is not the Heroes Reborn you remember, and I know a lot of people hate Heroes, the original Heroes Reborn, but uh, at least there was some, you know, pizzazz behind that thing. You can say what you want about the art or the questionable motives of the talent involved, but uh, at least it was an event, you know, and on yeah. an earth, earth, earth-shattering scale, but uh, this ain't. Forget no, it. it sure is not. Um, we also have in the hype box Solomon Kane number one by Ralph Macchio and Brett Blevins. Oh, man, I love Cobra Kai. <laughs> that's a great show no oh not wrong wrong macho wrong one yeah yeah not that one now solomon kane he is he a pulp character yeah i think so i think he is is, is it the same one i'm not sure but i i definitely know the name of solomon kane so let me see here uh, a fictional character created by pulp era writer robert e howard okay ooh, is that the conan one? guy yeah robert e howard <clears throat> okay yeah so uh yeah, he was a uh, a, a character from uh, <laughs> from pulp stories, and uh, that's probably why I haven't uh, read much about him. So, yeah, 
Uh, on the other hand, we have a character we do know a little bit about, Longshot Number 1 by Anne Nocenti and Art Adams. So, uh, oh, love yeah. the Longshot. I mean, Longshot was huge back... I remember this being a super big deal. So, you know, I'm, I'm all about art, Chris. I mean, back in the day, it, every single comic purchase for me was all about the art. If it had a great cover, I was buying it. If the sure. interiors were done by, you know, a George Perez or a Mike Zeck, I was all over it. Couldn't wait. And, of course... You had Art Adams. And I mean, oh, you know, yeah. it, Art Adams is so influential on, you know, a lot of the people who came up through the ranks, especially Rob Liefeld. I mean, his style at the time when was so fresh. It was new. It was jarring. It was a little bit more cartoony. And I just loved the way that it eventually became, you know, he became almost one of the most iconic X-Men artists of all time. I mean, that team shot alone with Wolverine in the foreground, I oh, need yeah. not even tell you. I mean, one of the most iconic images ever. And just his Wolverine and his Colossus. I mean, for me, they remain still some of the best images ever rendered of those characters. For sure. And and basically, I know Rob Liefeld gets credit for this, but it was it was actually Art Adams who created Liefeld hair. You know the uh, <laughs> the broccoli florets. The, the broccoli florets. This is uh, <laughs> you can blame Art Adams for that because you know you get to see it here on display in long shot number one. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. you know the series itself. I mean, did you enjoy it? Did you like that miniseries? You know, I read the first couple of issues recently, and oh. um, I liked it more than I did the first time I read it, but I, I, not enough to finish it. Um, it's, I don't know, long shot's a little bit weird. I, I, I love yeah, the way yeah. it looks. I love the yeah. way it looks, but yep. it's uh, the story didn't exactly grab me, but I mean, it is Anosenti who doesn't usually grab me. No, but and it had Mojo too. I'm definitely not a fan of yeah. that character. Not not a not a Mojo character or any of his worlds. It's just you know, it, it wasn't a serious book. So if you're looking yeah. for something serious, fair, Longshot is probably not what you're looking for. You know, it it attempts to be you know funny and in jest, and you know I've even reread it a few times. You know, a few years ago, and you know. I think basically when you talk about Longshot, you're talking about the arrival of Art Adams because this is his, you know, his coming out party. Yeah. And this this book is going to be influential for a lot of stuff that we see from Marvel after this. And I got to tell you a Longshot story. I couldn't wait. Sure. Couldn't wait. Okay. <laughs> so one of my friends who was, you know, a opposing comic book collector in my community. How dare he? Oh. How dare he, Keith? You know. <laughs> How dare you have a, you know, a series that I didn't get because he stole them from the rack and his mom gave him money. Irrelevant, (laughs) irrelevant people. But anyway, so he had the long shot series. Now, I had only managed to grab one issue with this thing off the rack because they mysteriously were gone everywhere I went. Hmm. I wonder where they went. This bastard's house. (laughs) So anyway, now in my secret arsenal, I had the Overstreet Price Guide. Okay. Okay. And boy, did I use that thing to my advantage. Now, this was printed only at the very, very arrival of Longshot. So, you know, the the hot factor was not included here, right? Oh, okay. So, now, this was at the peak of hotness. And if he he had even opened a page of his own comic books that he collected, he would have known (laughs) that, that, you know, even in like a New England comics ad, that Longshot was marked as the hot book at the time. And the prices were were drastically gone up. So... I had my meager stack of comics, and I never really brought any of my good stuff to, you know, trading affairs with my friends. So I had, you know, basically a stack of garbage, some beat-up Silver Age Justice League, and, you know, just some off-brand Archies and Red Circle, and just just junk, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, I just basically conned him out of his long shots. Yeah, you know what? Uh, 
Listen, man, if you if you give me, you know, three of those long shots, man, I'll, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you this Justice League. You know, it's got, you know, it's it's 30 cents. Right. So, I mean, you know, we got to trade up here. <laughs> and I walked away giving one Justice League with a handful of my long shots, baby. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I also have a long shot story, but mine's a little bit more embarrassing. Oh, um, go, go. In uh, me and my buddy, we uh, we would collect the X Men action figures, but um, we were this was in like early high school, and we're like we were just collectors, you know. We we uh, we we didn't play with these toys. We were collectors. And uh, we were looking at the upcoming X-Men action figures that were coming out. And we saw Longshot was among them. And uh, like at the same time, we're both like, ah, we'll just have him die in battle. (laughs) And then we looked at each other and we're like, oh, okay. (laughs) We kind of came out to each other that day that we were actually (laughs) still playing with our X-Men action figures. And it was all because of damn Longshot. So, oh, listen, listen, I played with LJ and wrestlers right on through very uh, almost high school graduation. So, you know, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's just one of those one of those things that I'm, I'm proud of right now, baby. Yes. Yes. Back then it was a little bit less pride, but nowadays it's OK. <laughs> now, the last thing from the hype box is Marvel graphic novel number 16, The Aladdin Effect. And this is a very weird story. It's almost like a DC Earth Prime story because, uh. This one features a young girl who has a power where she can summon Marvel heroes into the real world, which would include Storm, Tigra, She-Hulk, and the Wasp. And uh, this one was plotted by Shooter, scripted by David Michelini, and drawn by, uh, I'm guessing, Greg LaRock. So, an interesting one. If uh, I think if you see this one this. in the wild. Oh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Because um, it's, uh, I think it's, like, the only thing that's sort of kind of in continuity, but not, but like is actually like what DC would have as Earth Prime because it's the real world, but there are X-Men there or, or Marvel characters there because they were uh, summoned like a Aladdin summons a genie uh, into the real world. It's very odd. So you know what? So I listened to a, uh, you know, an epic interview with Jim Shooter and he was talking mm-hmm. about his foray into trades. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, basically when DC hit with Dark Knight Returns and they had that, you know, that, uh, that trade edition that ended up yeah. in bookstores all over the place, Marvel oh, yeah. panicked and they're like, Oh my God, you know, we got to get into this trade market. So of course, you know, they, they tried to jump in with, uh, you know, varied results we'll say, but they sure. weren't doing like some of their big characters. They were, they were trying some really, really strange stuff, you know, oh, to yeah. start these out, like, you know, the death of captain Marvel It's it's not what you'd think you'd start or launch your trade, but you know, they wanted something a little bit deeper, a little bit more adult, a little Mature. bit more self-contained. Yeah. So when I see something like this, the Aladdin effect, I just, you know, uh, it was one of those. I think that was actually a miss for Marvel, to be quite honest with you, because I don't think these are these are, you know, I, th- I know that they're semi fondly remembered now because, you know, if you see them, you want to pick them up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even Spider-Man like hooky and hooky. different things like yeah. that. I mean, they were OK, but look back at them now. You're like, yeah, you should. Oh, yeah. I, I I still love Definitely. the artwork and stuff like that, but you know some of the stories are. Eh, I can see why they weren't they weren't DC, put it that way. They weren't yeah. Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, put it that way. Yeah, because I mean DC, they had like you said, Dark Knight. They had Ronin was out. Uh, Watchmen yes. would be coming out soon. Uh, a lot of a lot of seminal works here, and Marvel they they went with the 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 graphic novel series. So yeah, you had you had hits like God Loves Man Kills, you know. Uh, well, listen, th- those are those are good, but they always seem like non not even canon. Like they didn't they even really get brought like up after not, a while. Yeah, 
Yeah, right. like there are some that are definitely canon, like the New Mutants first appearance was uh, you oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the New Mutants one. Um, but yeah, and then there was stuff like Void Indigo, which I have a Ooh. weird fondness for. It's another epic <laughs> book we'll probably wind up talking about somewhere down the line. But uh, Steve Gerber's Void Indigo, very, very weird. Um, trying to think of some others. Dazzler, the movie, was uh, was one of them. There was a She-Hulk. Death of Gru the Wanderer was a uh, Marvel trade. That was weird. Yeah. So I'm trying Man. to think. Uh, there were so many. Because, uh, I, I mean, this one's... This one's number 16. So there's, oh, yeah, they uh, had a ton of them. Yeah, they were yeah. they were trying to beat DC to the market. But, I mean, it just wasn't that mainstream. I mean, DC no. went to Rolling Stone magazine with theirs. Sure. You know what I mean? Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns both ended up being covered. You know what I mean? And Marvel is putting out the Aladdin effect. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think. I think it's <laughs> not going to uh, be on MTV here. <laughs> and, and Shooter even talked about, you know, they wanted to they were basically more concerned with having that format than they were with the quality of the books that were put out. Now he was super pleased with like the death of captain Marvel and enjoyed the content with that. But some of the others were just basically gap fillers to, you know, to run a shelf in a bookstore. That's all they were. Yeah. Probably a little bit of uh, copyright renewals and just, uh, Oh, there you go. Let's get some stuff out. Yeah. We haven't done a she Hulk in a while. Let's put a she Hulk uh, graphic right on the money. Now, from here, we continue our way down the uh, the path of the bullpen bulletin page with the mighty Marvel checklist. And uh, we don't have a whole lot to talk about. It's uh, mostly Secret Wars 2 tie-ins. So. Yeah, you know what? And every every single person listening here can kiss my... Because I love Secret Wars 2 back in the day. I soaked that up like a sponge. I was all in. I was excited for it. I had no idea that it was crap quality compared to Secret Wars 1, okay? Sure. No idea. As a kid, my enthusiasm was like, yeah, see more Secret Wars. Look at this. Look at Beyonder <laughs> crashing buildings here. Love it. You know Look at I mean? him learning how to poop. Yeah. And then, uh, then <laughs> I read it current day, and I'm like, what yeah. happened here? <laughs> you know, oh, my goodness. Boy, did they take a wrong turn at Albuquerque. But anyway, there was some good stuff. So, you know, Cloak and Dagger got a bi-monthly ongoing and, you know, after this as well. Um, and it's funny because I love Cloak and Dagger. I love the limited series. I loved his guest spots in Spider-Man. Both had and, really you know, cool looks. Yeah, they did really have cool looks. And, you know, you they also started with a limited series. And I was like a crack, you know, a crack baby when it came to limited series. I bought everything that was a limited issue because sure. you got brand new characters introduced. You got a self-contained storyline that began and ended with something. You know what I mean? It was good. And yeah, not and, like you know, miniseries today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everything's a miniseries today because basically every, <laughs> every every five issues is an arc built for the trade. So uh, I, I guess they're just super serving me now and I can't even appreciate it. I'm an unappreciative reader right now, Chris. That's true. Yeah, what an insult I am. But anyway, you know, you got to see great backstory on them. You know what I mean? And I think it was strange because they were never truly given like who were Cloak and Dagger's actual rogues gallery. You know, Spider-Man has Kingpin and the Green Goblin and all these people. But if you were if if you were tied to a tree and you were told name the top 10, you know, rogues gallery from Cloak and Dagger, how many would you get in? I'd be like, um, that that guy who was feeding them drugs and Crimson (laughs) Daffodil. (laughs) Right on the money. Exactly my point. And I, I actually collected Cloak and Dagger under false pretenses. Um, oh, no. Yeah, because, I mean, I am, I'm I'm an X-Men completionist, so I was buying all the mutant books, and Cloak and Dagger were mutants. 
Uh, they even had a series that was called The Mutant Misadventures of Cloak and Dagger. Oh, I wonder why they called it that. I Tie was, in. That was I that wonder. was was that shooter era where everything had to mention a mutant? Um, I it was late eighties, so it might have been DeFalco. No. Yeah, I think DeFalco, yeah. Yeah, I bet you it was DeFalco. Bet you. But uh, I bought all the Cloak and Dagger I could find, and then, well, they, I think they had a Netflix series, so they decided, yep, these two aren't mutants anymore. <laughs> so, oh, that, that, I think it was maybe C. Dodd. I'm not sure who it was, but, uh, you know, there's mixed reviews on that series. It, you know, just seeing Cloak and Dagger on the screen, okay, hmm. I pop for that, okay? Hmm. And after three episodes in, I'm like, yeah, you know what? The, the downtrodden, you know, emo kids running from, uh, you know, every single thing is just sure. not for me. And it just got, yeah, I don't know, not for me. I don't know what other people think of the Cloak and Dagger TV show, but, uh, you know, I could, I could probably do without that one. There you go. <laughs> now, one more thing we were going to discuss here. We're breaking the uh, the Mar- Mighty Marvel checklist um, in half here, or I guess in pieces, because we want to take a look. This, since this is an epic book, we want to take a look at the epic books here. This is going to be a little bit of an epic focus, just uh, taking a look at everything that comes out from Epic Comics. So uh, what do you have to say about uh, Dreadstar? Oh, man. I... I mean, I'm sure you can recall that first cover for Dreadstar. I mean, I think everybody oh, yeah. who was a comic fan back then just knew that book because it seemed to be everywhere. And, you know, there was plenty of buzz around comic shops and everything. You know, one of these creator-owned books that was going to be the next big thing. You know, Jim Starlin. I mean, he went all in on Dreadstar. Mm-hmm. You know, and he even took it away from Marvel. I mean, this guy didn't yep. only publish. He just literally walked away. You, you know what I mean? I'm basically only familiar with probably like the first six issues of this book because I didn't read any more of it. But man, this thing, I really liked it. I really liked the, you know, the fantasy high level adventure and visually just a book was a knockout. It had great stock paper, great presentation, introduced you to new worlds and brand new casts mm-hmm. right up Starlin's wheelhouse, of course. You know, it's the story of like Vanth Dreadstar and, you know, just the basically, you know, the ragtag band of universal travelers and, mm-hmm. you know. One of the most, definitely one of the most new, interesting new products on the shelf at the time. And, you know, not even really directly related to Marvel proper. No, so, I mean, I, I just like that, you know, they were trying this creator owned energy around the whole thing. And, you know, it really, really had a buzz. And anyone who knew Starlin, especially his 70s work at Marvel, this thing was, you know, this thing was hot book. Oh, back yeah. In the day. Wonderful space opera. Um, yep. uh, a long running uh, subplots just. Really, really, just amazing world building. Um, how, and much the art. You, how much did you get through? Oh, the, oh, the art is spectacular. The art's but. fantastic. I've made it. Th- I made it through the entire run one time. Nice. Um, I bought a mystery box at a comic shop for. Uh, it was something like a hundred comics for like eight dollars, and wow. it was in a just a brown box. And so I get it and I open it and it's basically the entire run of Dreadstar. Jackpot. And I was just like, wow, I never even heard of Dreadstar at this point. This was like a uh, turn of the century. I didn't know anything about uh, about Dreadstar. So got quite the education, and I thought it was just so much fun. Um, totally outside my wheelhouse. People who know me know that I hate space stuff. But here, it really, really works because, uh, I mean, this, this it was perfectly done with this crew of characters, with this writer and artist – uh, this creator just um, it was very, very good. Um, he would leave the book, actually, after he took the book from Marvel, uh, he would leave it and Peter David would take over as the writer. 
So yeah. that was uh, that was a weird thing to that was kind of jarring to go from uh, Jim Starlin to Peter David, and then there would actually be a follow up miniseries coming from Malibu Comics that focused on Vance's daughter that uh, Peter David wrote. So that was a weird one. But uh, keeping with Dreadstar, one of the books we have solicited here is Dreadstar and Company number three. Hmm. And this was a six-issue miniseries that reprinted the first six issues of Dreadstar. Jeez, you know what? I'm wondering if this is what I have. It, it's uh, yeah, it's it's odd. Something. I bet you a damn that I don't own the original Dreadstars. I bet you it's this shit. I mean this stuff. <laughs> Possible. Because it is six issues that I own, so I bet you that's what it is. Could be. Could oh, I'm, be. I'm gonna next next time on next podcast I'm going to talk about this. I'm gonna literally oh, dig good. these out of the box and see if I, it's actually Dreadstar or Dreadstar and Company. I hope it, I'm not shafted and have Dreadstar and Company. But anyway. Well, if you want the we regular Dreadstar, you could probably get it for fifty cents or so. Fair, <laughs> fair. It's, it's, but uh, this uh, prints the third issue, and the third issue of Dreadstar was cover dated March 1983, so about two years before this book comes out. Um, now, at this point, Dreadstar proper was at issue 21 or so, so it's only going to stay at Epic for another six issues. Uh, Starlin's going to take it from Marvel to First Comics, yeah. which, I mean, had to be like a slap in the face to the Marvel readers because the first issue over at First Comics, which would be issue number 27, November 1986 cover date, pays off a very, very long lingering subplot about a traitor <laughs> in the midst. So, yeah. You would have to follow. Yeah, you would have to find this. Because, I mean, we, we've heard different things about the Epic books in as far as whether they were direct market only or on newsstands. Uh, we were led to believe that ElfQuest was direct only, but now we're hearing that it was newsstands as well. So yep. if you were following Dreadstar via the newsstand, again, I don't know if it was newsstand or direct only. You would now I, have to. I think I think direct only. Because this one had the, that one had the, the better paper, so I'm, you're yes, probably definitely. right. Yep. So it probably wasn't too big a deal because you were already going to a comic shop. It stands to reason that they would order number 27 from first. It just might be a little bit harder to find. Uh, as I, I mean, you got to figure a lot of these shops were only ordering Marvel and DC. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll have to see. Uh, another book here, Moon Shadow number three. Hmm. Now, Moonshadow is touted as a fairy tale for grown-ups, and it's one of the books here that has the distinction of having been published by both Marvel's Epic and DC's Vertigo, the same story. Hmm. Yeah. I've, I've never read this thing. Have you? you I've got tried. any Moonshadow? Yeah, I've good, tried. bad, yeah. indifferent? Uh, it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me, uh, which is a shame because it's written by J.M. DeMatteis. And it's got art by John J. Muth, who uh, folks might know from the Havoc and Wolverine Meltdown series. Oh, wow. Yeah, so good stuff. Good art. Good art. Good writer. Um, it just didn't. I, I somehow own both runs. I, I, <laughs> I must have read really? them. Yeah. Sometimes comics just wind up in my house. I don't know how they got there. But uh, <laughs> I've never been able to get through the first issue of it. Just was not not for me at all. Um, another book, Swords of the Swashbucklers, number two, uh, and it's one I'm sure I, have, I own, but I doubt I ever opened it. I, what do you know about it? I have read this, so just to prepare myself for this podcast, I actually read a few issues of this thing. So super, super high concept. So Swords mm. of the Swashbucklers, number one, this thing is 
absolutely staggeringly rendered. I mean, really, really great looking book. If you crack this thing, the artwork, the colors, the visuals nailed. Uh, and of course, it's another ragtag group. And I know you'll hear that over and over, <laughs> a bunch of ragtags. They're a group of pirates on ships in space. Dun, dun, dun. You know, it's almost like a movie quality space opera. And it's one of these things that you could easily, easily see, you know, if this got passed to a, you know, uh, a Netflix director's uh, uh, desk or something in 2020, this thing would be on the screen in a hurry. So, you know, it's the story of Radar, an alien female swashbuckler who sets sail in space. And it's basically pirates meet Star Wars. You know, it's complete with a talking pirate cat and all, you know, mm. and, and you're surprising. Right, it is gorgeous. And it would fit perfectly in 2020 because it's surprisingly feminist. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> uh, despite being drawn by what I would consider a very, very, very horny man. And you'll see what I am understand if you purchase an issue of Swords and Swashbucklers. That's all I'll tell you. <laughs> and this was actually started as a Marvel graphic novel. How about that? Yep, correct. How about that? It's 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 actually it's it's different stuff, and I think that uh, if you see an issue of it, it's definitely worth grabbing. Very interesting. Very yep. cool. And another one that you're a big fan of here oh, is Gru yeah. the Wanderer, number seven. And I don't know if this will throw me under several buses, but I, I've never been much of a Gru fan. I've tried. Sergio Aragones. I mean, let me tell you something. Mad Magazine, I don't know about you, but I had Mad all the time. And, you know, Aragones was definitely, you know, head of the table when it came to Mad Magazine. And I, when I saw it grew on the stands, I just inhaled it. (laughs) Now, you know, if you don't know Sergio's work, like he's a humor, humor cartoonist. So this is not realistic looking art. I mean, this is cartoon at its, you know, its highest level. And, you know, grew despite his long run. I mean, I think it just gets dismissed in history when, you know, in actuality, if you read this title, there's actually, you know, a degree of continuity. It's got like a crazy cast, like super rich detail, which you don't normally see in this type of book. You know, you'd look at it and you think it's just, you know, a throwaway comedy magazine. It's not. Hmm. Rich and richness to grew was in the details. So you take a look at, you know, just a standard, uh, I'd say battle page that Aragon is, you know, does in all his books and you see grew laying waste, you know, maybe over two pages. And this thing is full. Just grab an issue of grew and see one of his battle pages. He goes crazy. He draws everything <laughs> on like this miniature scale, but the amount of detail and gore that he puts in just like literally a two page splash page is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, <laughs> Of course, the character of Gru is based on, you know, the 70s and 80s sword and sorcery epics, you know, the Conan, mm-hmm. the Barbarian, and Beastmaster. So, you know, much of the humor, though, is Gru was a one-man killing machine, and he can literally wipe out entire armies with just his little two katanas that he's always seen going around. And, you know, <laughs> he's feared across all the lands, and, you know, it's just hilarious. But he's got his little, cru- you know, trusty dog that he takes with him, Referto, and he's also got this, like, weird on-again, off-again relationship with this big warrior girlfriend almost like his red Sonia, you know, Chacal. And, you know, she's beautiful and grew, you know, literally drools. And I mean literally drools over <laughs> Chacal all the time, you know. She's one of my favorite co-stars and she's, you know, serious, you know, she's this dead serious, staunch, you know, warrior who is Gru's only equal in battle. He's the, she's the only one who could stand up to him with, you know, swordplay, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And their romance, if you want to say it, is is basically, you know, Gru drooling over her and her not paying much attention. You know, she wants no part of the hapless hero. But on the other side, which is good, she actually has sympathy 
and actually, you know, shows love back to him on, you know, but it's also hidden. She never lets him know it. You know what I mean? He's drooling uh-huh. over her and she never lets him in on the joke. So, you know, Gru is just one of these characters, you know, just not the not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but, you know, takes words and interprets them in the wrong, stupid way. And, you know, basically the entire book, he's leaving a trail of bodies. But, man, this is a comic uh you know, this is comic books done 100% right. And if you just like to, you know, switch your brain off, have fun, and just enjoy a buck, I, I, I can't recommend this enough. 100% recommendation from Chris Bailey right here. Maybe I'll have to give it another shot. I might have to. Uh, good. My, my, my reading is basically uh, limited to the stuff that I talk about. So maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll have yeah. to talk about it. Yeah. Now, uh, another book we have is Black Dragon number three. And uh, I, I bought this one a long time ago simply because it was written by Chris Claremont. <laughs> and uh, this is one of the reasons why I don't buy things anymore, just because they're written by Chris Claremont. Uh, <laughs> it's It's got like John Bolton art. It's very, very pretty. I just couldn't I just couldn't get into it. I, I tried a lot of Claremont stuff, um, like even his novels and uh, like First Flight was one of them. Oh, yeah. Can't can't do it. I, I it ha, it's like it almost has to be X-Men uh, for it to work. And even now it's, it's not even that. Oh, oh boy. Uh, yeah. You listen, I've heard your podcast, bro. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that Claremont doesn't have the same shine as he did back in the day. I guarantee it's you. It's a shame. It is a shame. Um, we have the one number one, mm. which, you know, in order to, uh, put together this program today, I went through a old script because, uh, Reggie and I had covered the entire one mini series, including the Puzz Fondles backups in Cosmic Treadmill episode 74. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, oh, let me let me refresh my memory a bit. And so, okay. how many issues of the one outside of number one did this thing go? I believe it's a six issue. Ooh. A six issue miniseries. And, uh, and I figured, ah, I'll just, I'll just, you know, scan this and be like, oh, okay, I'll be able to talk about this. No. No, the one is a very, very deep, uh, confusing, um, very complicated story. It's good. It's a lot of fun. It's interesting, but it's not something that I can – I can't even put into words what it's about. It's very, very odd. And uh, now the Puzz Funnels is another thing altogether. Um, If folks are familiar with the TV show The Young Ones, uh, the BBC show – it's kind of like that, but they're like not human. Like they just beat each other up constantly. What, it's, what does Puzz Fondle stand for? It sounds like it's masked for another term. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like 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 knuck and futz. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's just very it's a very weird book. It's like post apocalyptic. There's like two versions of the same guy. One's a superhero. One's are just a normal dude. A lot of commentary about consumerism. It's. Oh. Does, it's, does, it's a weird so it's one. Po- post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. Does it have Jonah Hex in it? No, but uh, well, it should. It should. Yeah, it should. <laughs> no no <laughs> Jonah Hex. No Mad Max either. <laughs> there um, you go. Another book we got is Time Spirits number five, and um, I think during our discussion with Brent Anderson, he mentioned this interview, right? I mean, he he mentioned this book. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because he mentioned something, and we were both like, huh? So I I've think never, it was time. I, still, I have still haven't read an issue of it. What do you think? I have not either. I don't even know if that I've ever seen one. Uh, when we saw this in the bullpen bulletins, it was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's the only reason we knew it. <laughs> hmm. 
I must I must I must take a glance at that for the next episode. For see. sure. Yeah. Uh, we have Elf Quest number two, which we oh, just heard that's talked. good. Yeah, I hear that's, that's a good, good issue. Good. Yep. Coyote number 13. Speaking of, not good. <laughs> this early Todd McFarlane art. Do you have any any opinions on Coyote? Oh, my God. This is like super grit. Like this is one of these books that are just put out for the sake of having these doom and gloom. Like you want a bag of pills by the time you're finishing the <laughs> issue of Coyote. But, you know, the only issues of uh, of Coyote that I ever bought was during the, you know, the McFarlane speculation period. You know what sure. I mean? When he was becoming the hot artist and you were seeking, you know, any back issues that he had. And boy, if you saw Todd McFarlane's art, you know, even before Infinity Inc. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This is some rough Todd McFarlane right here, brother. It's this rough. is this yeah. is this is not even sketchbook material. It's really, really, really off-brand Todd McFarlane. If you want to see the early days of McFarlane, now you know what? Uh, I'm not even going to say it's good. Like it, it, it doesn't even stand up to um, the worst artist of today. You know what I mean? Like if you you picture somebody, you know, some of the worst crap you'll ever see in a book on the newsstands today, it is below standard. That it is really off <laughs> crap. Man, it's not great. It's not great. There's, there's only one. I, I own a bunch of Coyote, but there's one yeah. issue that I still want, and it's the one where Badger. You remember Badger oh, from? Oh yes, uh, oh yes. They have a team up, and I thought that was the weirdest thing in the world to have Badger in a Marvel book. But Badger, I, as in Mar- uh, Malibu Badger? As, as in Mar? Oh, was it uh, oh, Mike Barron? Mike Barron's Badger? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow. And uh, interesting. The, and that's one. That's the only issue of this that I actually want, and I don't even want to read it. I just want to have it, but uh, <laughs> because I mean, this is written by Steve Englehart, who oh, I kind of run hot and cold with. Uh, there are some things he's done that I've liked. I liked his Green Lantern core for the most yep. part, um, but I see Steve Englehart in in the '80s a lot like I see someone like a Mark Wade or a Dan Slott today. Like where their comics just feel cynical and angry and almost annoyed at the people who are buying it. This is Coyote. That, that exactly. That, that's how I see Steve Englehart. Like, because Englehart, he, he, you know, he'll he'll change his name to John Harkness when he's upset with an editor. Harkness. Like, that's funny. Yeah, because like I think like the last two or three issues of his Fantastic Four are under the name John Harkness. Because he didn't like what the editor made him do, and poor baby. I, I mean, yeah, I, I get, I get being upset, but it's like, okay, come on, man, <laughs> come on, man, you're doing coyote, get over yourself, <laughs> right? And the last thing we got here is Epic Illustrated number thirty-one, and this one features a Galactus story by John Byrne, but not the famous unfinished Galactus story by John Byrne, so a different one. You have any uh, memories of Epic Illustrated? I'm sure we're going to be talking oh, about it much Ep- more. Epic Illustrated. Know. Oh yeah, this was as close to heavy metal as Marvel could get. So oh, yeah. you know, if they're that if was they're the looking, plan, I'm sure that was absolutely what Epic Illustrated is. So you know, if you're familiar with, uh, you know, the 70s and 80s heavy metal magazine, so you know, it's basically soft core. Oh, you know, yeah, boobs. Yeah, yeah, boobs yeah. And, yeah. You yeah. get you get your boobs and your blood and your heavy mm-hmm. and your rock and roll basically in a magazine. And you know, it's one of those books that you'd hide under the bed, that type of deal. <laughs> <laughs> and this was about as close to uh, to heavy metal as Marvel got with Epic Illustrated. So, you know, it's one of these basically a jam book. You never know what you're yeah. going to get every month. And, you know, some sometimes you'd have some repeating stories and different things. But for the most part, it was just, you know, everything was thrown at the table and we're going to get edgy here in Epic Illustrated. So Big there you time. go. 
big time. Yeah, it's not something that is like is hard to find. Uh, you, you'll find no, Epic not. Illustrated all over the place. Um, to the point where like I don't even pick them up because they're just everywhere. Um, yeah, I know it. It's it. They're. I mean, heavy metal. I mean, let's let's face it. There is a collector's market for heavy metal magazine. Sure. I mean, they are. They're really something to look at. The polished covers and the interiors, the suspect material inside. Yep. And, you know, it's just like the light version of that. And it's not something mm-hmm. I want. I, I remember know. in either grade school or junior high, um, every time we'd have like a sleepover or something, we would always rent the heavy metal movie. Do you remember yes, that? Oh, oh, yes, of man. course. That was like the the closest thing to like anime that we had back then. And it was just <laughs> like, and but it was a cartoon so you can get away with it. You know, that was before our parents knew that, you know, they were mature cartoons. So it's like, so, oh, so here's a cartoon. <laughs> have you ever seen Fire and Ice? No. Oh, boy. Fire and Ice is one of these. Uh, it's fi- like almost similar to heavy metal. Mm-hmm. And I think it was done by, I want to say, a Bashki type of type of type of guy. But anyway, okay. uh, the artwork is done in rotoscope. So it's like real life, you know, real life movement and stuff like that. But, you know, you definitely got. Yes. And it's uh, the women in that are, you know, it was one of those ones you'd hide away from dad. You'd press stop on the on the disc immediately or on the VHS tape immediately when your parents <laughs> were in the room. Right now. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, I didn't yeah. even I can't even I can't even tell you what Fire and Ice is about. I just remember the half naked woman running across my screen endlessly. I was like, yes, sir. I'm Pass looking at a, a Google sock. image search and it. <laughs> Paul Abdul, I'm looking at a uh, I'm looking at a Google image search here, and that's that's all I'm seeing. <laughs> that's all. So, that's yeah. all it is, Chris. That's all it is. <laughs> so yeah, so oh. that was that. So I started with heavy metal, and then I was like, oh, what's this? Fire and ice looks the same, and I was like, oh, this is much better than heavy metal. <laughs> yeah, because even because like even the cover of it is drawn like a like a Frazetta. You yes, know? sir. It looks, it looks like an old sword and sorcery sort of Conan character, but. The actual cartoon looks more like a uh, like a sort of kind of anime influenced sort of thing here, and yeah, there's a there's some boobs and a, a g string yep. in the in the and medieval a, times and a, and a very suspect uh, hairy g string. That's true. <laughs> so, folks, you'll have to check out Fire. <laughs> um, Tell them Chris sent you. Yes, doesn't matter which one. Um, <laughs> from here, we've got our ads, and we don't have very many of them, but uh, we do have some. We've got an ad for ElfQuest The Whole Story, which is uh, available mm. to order from Bud Plant Distributors. What the hell is this? It's when weird. You, when, huh? I, when I saw this ad, I was like, I remember seeing it in a comic, but I never really looked at what it was. I just thought yeah. it was an ad for ElfQuest itself. Mm. But. What the hell is this? I remember when uh, when we were researching to do our direct market episodes of uh, Weird Comics History, the first time I saw the name Bud Plant, I'm like, that's got to be a that's got to be a rib, right? That's got to be a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Bud Plant. It's like this is a uh, this is what is this? Um, this is you know pot smoke, uh, LTD or you know or yes. reefer reefer uh, comics. Very weird. But it but says you, the 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 ad actually says you know um, you can get well number one it advertises that you can get the ElfQuest books you mm-hmm. know what I mean you can get the whole set for forty five dollars then you can get six assorted issues of the original black and white ElfQuest you know uh, save nine dollars only for eight dollars going fast but then it says 
Wendy Peeney's classic characters take shape in detailed lead die or yeah, lead die cast miniature mm-hmm. figurines. Five sets for eight dollars each, or all five sets for thirty-eight dollars. Where in the hell are the ElfQuest toys? Have you ever seen these? I've never seen these. I, Do they I, exist? I, Can anyone tell me that they we're exist? We're going to have to reach out, maybe. Maybe we'll have to, we'll Man, have to reach out to uh, the folks. Yeah, because uh, I want to see these for sure. That that just sounds too cool. I mean, and, and how many of them, of them are there? Well, it's it, says, it says five sets. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> and yep. it says you can use your figurines to play the elf quest game stock the forest with your wolf friend and you know replay the elf quest journey complete boxed game only twenty dollars <laughs> boxed game i don't even know what this is i'm gonna have to dig through the gatherums or something to see if maybe i missed it but uh wow talk about, I, I, talk about the scene see. they chose to advertise what 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 is this picture chris yes um the image they use in this ad is from uh a lot of folks will, if you, if you talk to people about ElfQuest who are sort of kind of in the know, but not completely, there, there's a few scenes that they might call out. One of them is the orgy. So, and, uh, so I'm going to tell you. So anybody, <laughs> uh, I'm going to call out the Wizards podcast, namely Adam, who always <laughs> uh, who always calls us out for our love of ElfQuest, Michael more in particular. And uh, you want to know what separates ElfQuest from some of the crap you read? It's the orgies. You're <laughs> welcome. the orgies. So, yes, it's an image from the orgy. And uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we don't have comics code for the uh, for these books, do we? Well, not uh, not back in said day. We did not. Not the warp versions anyway. Yeah. And I'm looking here on the cover of two. And yeah, there's no comics code authority. So we don't have to worry about uh, annoying the people who run Archie Comics with a. with some uh, orgying, so that's a good thing. <laughs> I tell you uh, what, I'm buying ElfQuest after that ad. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, we have another ad here, and uh, it says Glub Griffiths. Glub Griffiths, <laughs> which is yep. a, uh, a Reese's Pieces ad with an alien greeting us with Glub Griffiths. So, huh, I, I, I have absolutely zero idea what Reese's <laughs> might be trying to capitalize off of here. What do you think? Well, I can tell you because everything wanted to capitalize on the E.T. boom back in the day. You know, the Steven Spielberg classic. It was, it was a huge cultural mm-hmm. event. And E.T. was one of these, you know, biggest pop culture icons of the early 80s, especially. And Reese's Pieces, believe it or not, was featured heavily in the movie. The kids lure E.T. to their house with a trailer Reese's Pieces. Now, this was actually a new candy at the time and, you know, an unusual choice or so they thought. Until you discover the fact that M&M Mars refused to, to use their products in the movie, yep. you know, about these silly aliens. Instead, they went with this unknown new kid on the block, you know, candy called Reese's Pieces. Mm-hmm. And uh, guess what? The uh, forever Reese's Pieces became a, uh, you know, a pop of a or I should say candy iconity you know what i mean it's one of those iconic candy that you think of all the time it tastes delicious and boy oh, yeah. you talk about the biggest piece of advertising you could ever ask for to have et eating reese's pieces and man it blew the doors off the candy industry right here with this particular thing and oh, you know what you want to know an et et fun fact hmm, hit me do you know that i first saw et in a district school board office, in a mm-hmm. like a basically a gymnasium, on a sheet 
as a kid, you know, up on release day. I don't know how they managed to get a copy of the oh, film, wow. but they did. And guess who was in the audience as well? And I he didn't know himself? her at the time. No, my wife. It was the oh, only time yes, that you, we you, occupied you the that. same yeah. time and space, and we had never seen each other until adulthood. But we were that, in all these places at the same time. It's hilarious. I remember you saying that. And, and I mean, back to the uh, to the Reese's Pieces. I can't look at Reese's Pieces without thinking about ET. No. It's uh, I'm I'm right now. I'm on a uh, common sense media website because mm. uh, how old were you when you saw ET? Uh, what was the what date was it? Uh, probably 80, 81. 80, what, 82? 82. So if it was 82, I was... 83? 83, maybe? I was probably 9. 1982. 1982, okay. Okay, so I was I was 8 or 9. And I'm pretty sure the first time I saw it, I was probably like 6 or 7. Um, I saw it later, of course. But yep. I'm looking at Common Sense Media here, and they're all saying that... This should not be viewed by anyone under 10. Wow. Uh, Let's see here. Not suitable for age seven. Age seven is not appropriate given the drinking language and scary scenes. (laughs) So when E.T. first came on VHS, we showed it to my uh, my oldest daughter. Okay, (laughs) And, uh, you know, she was entranced with the movie. Right. You know what I mean? Just just just. Yeah. So she watched the whole thing beginning to end. And I couldn't wait to see what she heard about it because I went on about my business. She kept watching the movie. So she comes out, tears rolling down her face. So, Rebecca, what do you think? That was the worst movie ever. <laughs> she was horrified that E.T. had to go away at the end. Spoiler. He phoned home and went home. Yeah, he did. What a sin. See, although there is some language such as penis breath. Damn it. <laughs> shit. Son of a bitch. The movie is a classic. OK, but the penis breath went right past my son as he said he didn't quite catch what they said. Thank goodness. The drunkenness went past him too. <laughs> mm, yeah, so uh, we we can't have uh, we can't have things anymore, can we? Oh man, uh, pathetic! It was a good movie. Let your kids watch it, people. What's wrong with you? Exactly. Here, I, I know my wife had shown it. Uh, she teaches second grade, and uh, she had forgotten that they say penis breath. And uh, <laughs> I, I would have loved to have seen her scramble up to the to the screen to like. <laughs> <laughs> like dive for it and slam it off or something. Oh man. Uh, we have another ad here for the young astronaut program. Now this is reach, something I actually... reach for the stars. Mm-hmm, but keep your feet on the ground. Um, <laughs> this is something I actually did a little bit of research on today because I was just like, wow, this is an interesting subject here. Now this program was established by president Ronald Reagan in 1984 and it had chapters at various elementary schools across the country. And it was sort of an extracurricular like where kids would have to stay after school to take part, which I'm guessing led to many kids choosing not to take part. <laughs> I know if that was me, I'd be like, no, I want to go play home and play Nintendo, so leave me alone. <laughs> um, this program was said to include educational materials, demonstrations, and projects which show space science and encourage children to become astronauts. And uh, two years after this program started up, on January 28th, 1986, the Challenger disaster happened, Ooh. which... You talk about a uh, a publicity nightmare for that particular uh, organization. Yeah. I mean, this was a significant thing for everybody in America here. But, Absolutely. of course, for children, this launch was particularly noteworthy because Krista McAuliffe or McAuliffe, McAuliffe, Krista McAuliffe, uh, she was to be the first teacher in space. 
Uh, and, um, you know, I don't know if it's Mandela effect or not, but I, I could swear that we actually watched this in my first grade class. Oh, I, I recall. Uh, no, I, I don't know the exact moment, but I, I, I'm like you. I absolutely recall seeing that footage and being, you know, it was talked about in our school when it happened. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know if that's me with the Mandela effect or me because I absolutely vividly remember that that whole thing happening so exactly exactly mm-hmm. now um the young astronauts program would continue from there but as of now it's long gone in its original form um there is a weebly website for it which tells you how important it is whoa and, uh, <laughs> weebly yeah weebly uh and uh it's been 404 to hell so mm-hmm. uh you have to if you want to read it you need to go through the internet archive which uh, will tell us that the original program ended soon after 9-11. And uh, it's still sort of a thing, but now it has more of a emphasis on STEM. So, uh, What the hell is STEM? That's uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Now you know, kids. Mm-hmm. Knowing is half the battle. But <laughs> when I think about astronauts and school, all I think about is freeze-dried ice cream. How about you? I've had some. I've had some. Mm-hmm. And what do you think? What's your, what's your first thought? Oh, it sucks, but I mean, you yeah, wanted it. It is the shit. <laughs> you you wanted it when you were sitting in that class and they were cutting off little cubes of it. <laughs> I wouldn't go to space just based on the ice cream alone. Savages. <laughs> Gotta have the tang, too. But, uh, <laughs> space tang. We're going to have to actually do that tang taste oh, test eventually. We are doing that. That's happening. <laughs> But I remember like sitting in the classroom when they'd pass out the little because they'd cut the the because like astronaut ice cream comes in like a little little block and they would cut it into little cubes. So every kid in the class got one. And the whole time I was sitting there praying that I don't get strawberry. It's oh. like <laughs> I don't want strawberry. And, and like half the time you'd get damn strawberry and nobody wants bro, the strawberry. Bro, it, it didn't even matter what flavor you got. It was all, <laughs> it all drizzles, my like friend. It was, yep. yeah, man, you, you're expecting it. What What was the. I don't know if I was thinking it was going to be like a taffy sensation or even like almost like a crunchy crunch bar mm-hmm. type of thing. Or I really didn't know what I was expecting. Yep. But uh, it tastes like this really weird texture. And then like chalky, the flavor, yeah. chalky, milky, crappy, crappy <laughs> taste of, of, of this stupid astronaut's ice cream. Man. Yeah. It's like if you dropped a Tums in a puddle and then picked it up two minutes later. It's <laughs> not good. Listen, not if good. you're launched into space with a monkey, ranting <laughs> warrant out in the middle of space, and the only thing that they're giving you is this free-dried shit, forget it. Eat the monkey. That monkey is going by himself. <laughs> but that is the end of our issue in some we hope you enjoyed the return of quester days and we hope you come back for much much more but before we cut out of here how about we do a little plug-in why not do you want to start or do you want me to do do the honors you go all right all right i will do definitely do the honors so since we last spoke if you if the last time you heard my voice was on quester days episode one then i was attempting during my uh unlike chris who was, you know, attempting a very prolific, uh, you know, X-lapsed endeavor. I was going to do the superhero satellite, and I was, by God, going to put out four episodes. Four episodes, I tell you. <laughs> and we stalled at number three. So I've actually produced two to Chris's 125,000. 
But good news, and the true reason behind it, just just for everybody's info, was that I had some guest stars that were lined up, and they could not make it until quite recently. So that is, once again, back on. But you can hear me for real on Questerdays once again, and I'm glad to be back with you, my brother, because I tell you what, podcast... I don't know how you do podcasting by yourself, but uh, I, I don't like it without my Christian or Mark Radlich. Let's put it that way. That's all I'm telling you. Uh, I, I am I am definitely the co-host and not the host, and that's the way I dig it. <laughs> there you go. But, uh, yeah, you can find me over uh, as well in the W2M Network with uh, with Mark Radlich and with Chris as the podsman. And we're doing some wrestling stuff, and you can hear some all kinds of pay-per-view reviews and anything that, uh, that Mark decides he gets in his brain, uh, we cover mm-hmm. over there. So that is Chris Bailey. How about you, Christian? What have you been up to? Oh, you know, stuff. You, you've uh, been lapsing. I have been lapsing and unlapsing. But uh, you <laughs> could find me here at this very channel, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, which I don't know why I keep giving that address out since if you're listening, you're like already there. So I guess uh, it's just habit. But um, You might want to listen do- to more, Chris. Yes, we were doing uh, X-Lapsed just about every single day. It's uh, the current year X-Men stuff. We're up to episode 190-ish. Zeroing in on... To my two, by the way. To my two. (laughs) Okay? Two. It's about quality, not quantity. (laughs) I I, I am simply quantity. I am just taking up... I'll take that. (laughs) I am taking up air, is what I do. Um And when we're not doing just plain X-Lapsed, we're doing Essential X-Lapsed, which is the Silver Age X-Men. Refreshing myself on that because I used to be encyclopedic in my X-Men knowledge, and I've, well, I've fallen off. I've lapsed, and I'd like to... I actually love that show. So I, I've listened to those. It's I've fun. listened to those episodes, and believe it or not, if you're an old X-Men fan, you really, truly don't realize how out of touch that these books were with 2021 <laughs> sensibilities because professor X is a, uh, a hardened pervert. criminal, a yes. pervert. Chris Hansen would a- tell him to take a seat, but he's already sitting. <laughs> we ain't rusty people. We ain't rusty. We're, we're back, back on the horse, baby. <laughs> but that's where we're at. Um, Chris is on infiniteearths.com. You could find uh, you find Mr. Bailey at uh, Charlton underscore hero. You can find me at Ace Comics. And I think that's where we'll leave it. We'll let you all get on with the rest of your day. We thank you so much for uh, being your being your patient selves and being interested in this project. And we hope we didn't let you down and we hope you come back for more. So until next time, as always, we will talk to you again real soon. See ya! <laughs> <laughs>